Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com. From St. Louis Public Radio, this is St. Louis on the Air. I'm Alex Hoyer. Um, but this was the first time I re- just really directly addressed it uh, to one of my kids. Yeah. I keep on hearing your voice you can do one thing really, really well, but you're going to have a, a shorter shelf life with that. What's that process like? You just hear something and then you try to put your own spin on it? It, it really only works with a great song. That you can throw anything at that song and the song holds up. Norbert Leo Butts is a two-time Tony Award winner for Best Actor in a Musical, also appeared in movies and TV shows. He's also a St. Louis native, Webster University graduate, and he's in town for a performance tonight at the Sheldon to celebrate his latest album called King of Hearts. Norbert Leo Butts, welcome to St. Louis on the Air. Thanks so much. I want to get to some of your acting credits in a moment, but let's get right to one of the songs on the new album, King of Hearts. This is Mission Bell. That's Mission Bell, performed by Norbert Leo Butts, who is with me here in studio. Uh, How did that song come together? Oh, my goodness. Um, That song was written to one of my daughters. Um, COVID uh, was uh, such a disruptor. I had all three of my girls home. Uh, for under my roof for the first time in many, many years. And uh, we played music all the time. It's something that we did it in, the, in the evenings to get us through. My oldest daughter's 26. Her name is Clara Virginia Davis, and she had written a couple songs. She's like, Dad, are these songs any good? And I said, they're more than good. I'd like to record them. And I wrote a couple songs in response to her songs. So the record is sort of a conversation between a dad and a daughter. Um, is is it the genesis of, of the idea of it? So yeah, that's a song about um, uh, some of the travails that we as parents go through when we have to sort of cut the apron strings from our kids and and let them make their own mistakes in life and, and let them follow their own path. You know, the mission bell being representative of uh, you know you can always come back home when you need me, um, like like the old mission bell churches in the in the southwest desert and in southwestern cultures. You know, uh, that was the idea. 
Was that the first time that you had uh, created art that was kind of a, a dialogue with your children? 100%, yeah. I mean, I've always... They've inspired other songs that I've written as well. Um, a lot of songs that I write have to do with um, long-term marriage, um, parenting, uh, aging, and, and mortality, things like that. So, yeah. Um, but this was the first time I re- just really directly addressed it uh, to one of my kids. Yeah. What was the recording process like? It was really it was wild. So, um, as you mentioned, I am an actor. We wrote the songs kind of at the beginning of quarantine. But then I got a job, this was sort of pre-vaccination times, in Vancouver, BC. I was up there for eight months and could not cross the border back into the States. Mm -hmm. So I went eight months without seeing my wife and kids. Um, I was working on this science fiction program and um, I found a small studio called Blue Light Studio in Vancouver and um, did the basic tracks there. Um, And then got another acting job. Music has always been that sort of thing that I've done between acting gigs, you know, to, to kind of keep me feeling creative and working on things, you know. Um, so the basic tracks were done in Vancouver. That sh- show ended, came back to Jersey and finished the record in New Jersey and New York. Yeah. So during the during the pandemic, was, was you creating this music then uh, kind of a response to being by yourself at the time and, and just wanting something else to do? I think so, 100%. Um, you know, I, I'm a bit of a shark. If I'm still too long, <laughs> I, I, I get restless. And um, right now is a perfect example. I, I'm a member of the Screen Actors Guild. We have been on strike since June. I've had no work in a while. And so uh, I'm super grateful to be able to create music as well. It's the thing that I do to keep me feeling creative, keep me engaged, keep me um, interested. Speaking of the strike, we heard earlier this week about an agreement that was reached uh, with the writers. Are you optimistic that, that the strike might end soon? I am. Um, a lot of the same issues that the Writers Guild um, were bringing to the table um, have, have been almost parallel issues to the Screen Actors Guild, of which I'm a member, um, having to do with um, streaming and AI primarily. Um, so since they have come to an agreement, it's looking really, really good for us. Um, they're back at the table and hopefully, fingers crossed, it's going to be hammered out in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Is there a particular project that you're involved that that's on hold now because of it? A couple, yeah. Um, I have a a film being released this week. Um, uh, I can say the title. I can't really promote it, but I'm I'm in the new Exorcist um, sequel that's coming out on October 6th, and we've not been able to do any press for that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm in the middle of shooting a series uh, for Hulu as well. We got two episodes in the can, and we got six more to go, and so fingers crossed we'll be back back to work soon. Fingers crossed that that the actors get a get a fair deal uh, there. Yes, from your lips. <laughs> so uh, let's get back to the uh, concert that's tonight at the Sheldon. What's it like to be back in your hometown? Oh, man, it's so thrilling. It's so funny. On the way over to the studio today, I'm just fielding text messages and from high school friends and family friends. You know, I'm from right here in South St. Louis. Went I to was, Bishop DeBerg. I went to DeBerg. Um, I have um, yeah, on the seventh year. 1990, I graduated. Uh, okay. Oh, no, no, no. From oh. high school, 85. Okay. Webster University, 1990, mm-hmm. yeah. 
um, I'm the seventh of 11 kids. Most of my siblings are still here in St. Louis. And um, so, yeah, the audience will be filled. I, I think half of them will be butzes um, between my nieces and nephews and my brothers and sisters and high school friends and elementary school friends. And it's a, it's beautiful. First of all, the space. Oh, the Sheldon is, is great. It's incredible. Yeah. And if you're a singer, it's a singer's room. The acoustics in that room are almost unparalleled. Um, uh, so I'm thrilled about it. I'm really excited about this batch of songs. We're going to do the record and some other originals of mine and some some really interesting covers that we have kind of turned upside down from the originals. And uh, a wonderful friend of mine, Devin Cahill, and her band are opening up for us. She's a fantastic indie folk musician, local St. Louis girl. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. we're like I can't wait. Can't wait till tonight. Yeah, I, I was going to get to that a little bit later, but you mentioned some some great covers. Uh, let's uh, get back to that. Uh, you have a cover on this album of Dolly Parton's Nine to Five. Let's take a listen. Tumble out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen Pour myself a cup of ambition And I'm yawning, stretching, trying to come alive Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the street the traffic starts jumping And there's folks like me on a job from nine to five Working nine to five Oh, what a That's 9 to 5, a cover of Dolly Parton, uh, sung by Norbert Leo Butts, who's with me in studio. That is such a different interpretation, and I love the interpretation, but you think of Dolly Parton's original as being just more upbeat. What's behind the inspiration for this one? Funny you should ask that. Something I love to do as a musician, I um, I do love reinterpreting and rearranging songs, and the thing about that song... And that artist, I think she is one of the great American songwriters. A great song is like a great piece of architecture. It, it, it's so solid in, in what the, the song is about, what the messaging is, the voice of the writer, that you can throw anything at that song and the song holds up. So I was in Vancouver. It was a very isolating time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was listening to a podcast 
and they were talking about what an increase in the federal minimum wage would do for black and brown kids living in poverty. Uh, I think the, the estimate is somewhere between 40 and 50 million kids being lifted out of po poverty with a federal minimum wage increase. So with that kind of going in on in my mind, I heard that Dolly Parton song, and I heard it in a whole new way. I heard it as a protest song for, for labor. Mm -hmm. um, you know, during COVID, you know, uh, we, we found the value of essential workers. Right now, we're, we're having a labor moment in the country. Um, right. I have two unions on strike right now, with auto workers up in Detroit. Um, well, and the Wentzville plant was was one of the first uh, there you to, go. to go on strike. I mean, uh, and and that's an, another thing. When I was listening to it, it, it seemed to strike uh, a particular moment now because of the labor disputes that I, are happening. I, I'm so glad you said that. Um, and, and a great song will do that. You know, that song is 40 something years old now. Um, and it's open for interpretation. If you get to the meat and potatoes of that song, it's a, it's a cry um, from, uh, from a worker. Um, um, uh, it humanizes the worker in, in sort of a global economy. That's the thing that's it seems to be is getting most forgotten. So um, I'm thrilled with how the song turned out and people are really responding to it. Yeah. When you interpret songs, I'm sure there's many songs that uh, you've done covers in your head. You've you've performed them in your bedroom or living room or wherever. Um, you said that you like to do that. Uh, What's that process like? You just hear something and then you try to put your own spin on it? Yeah. So through college and graduate school, um, I was an acting major, but I was moonlighting in bars and clubs, open mics. I busked in New York. I busked in, in Boulder, Colorado. I've, I've, um, and so you're always looking for just an interesting spin on a song. And it, it really only works with a great song, um, with a great song and a really great lyric. Um like I said before, you you can find new meaning in a song depending on where that song hits you. Mm -hmm. um, so I just kind of wait. Uh, like tonight, I'm doing an interpretation of an old Fleetwood Mac song called "Go Your Own Way." That's as, as a piano that's a ballad, great one too. as a wildly different uh, interpretation of the song because it's it's when a song hits me. It's what emotional state I'm in when the song or the lyric of the song hits me, and then I hear a whole new way of of doing it. I mentioned in the intro that you are a two-time Tony Award winner for Best Actor in a Musical. You won those for your roles in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and Catch Me If You Can. You've also been in Rent, Wicked, My Fair Lady, and others. You've been in TV shows like Bloodline and films like Dan in Real Life. And you mentioned that you're in the movie that comes out uh, soon, The Exorcist Believer. That's a tremendous amount of versatility. Uh, when it comes to those different roles, what do you find uh, particularly to be the most challenging? Hmm. I get asked that a lot. Um, I, I find all of it challenging. Um, I, I think basically I'm just a, a restless spirit and um, I... Uh, and I'm greedy. I'm greedy for new experiences. Um, I've never been someone who's wanted to repeat myself. Um, if I find myself doing a long run of a play, then I want to get on a film set. If I've been on a film set for a long time, then I want to get back in a music studio. I think that has, says more about my ADHD brain than, than anything else. Um, and I feel very fortunate. Uh, I love switching mediums. I just love mm -hmm. it. It keeps me hungry. It keeps me curious. Um, and it's allowed me to have this career that's going on 35 or so years now. Um, I have a lot of, I tell student actors, sometimes I, I teach, and I really encourage them to diversify. Mm. Um, 
you know, you can do one thing really, really well, but you're going to have a, a shorter shelf life with that. How, how do you do that, though? I mean, I can imagine that it's, it's tough to make a break on Broadway and then to be able to go from Broadway to TV to film. How, how do you do that? I, I, I don't know. I, I, I trained. I, mm-hmm. I, I did a BFA at Webster University, and then I went and did a further degree. I did an MFA at the University of Alabama. Um, so I guess I just instinctually uh, got myself skilled in, mm-hmm. in several areas because I, I think even I knew as a young person that um, I wasn't going to be satisfied just doing one thing. Um, yeah. I also I write, so I've been wanting to publish a book of poems lately. It's just um, that's that says probably more about me than it than it does anything else in terms of my restlessness as a person. Mm-hmm. When when it comes to uh, roles that are challenging, I was thinking of uh, the Tony Award that you won for Catch Me If You Can, and you portrayed Carl Hanratty, mm-hmm. which was portrayed by Tom Hanks in the film. Yeah. How how do you approach something like that where? You have audience members coming in, and they they have a mind of how a uh, have in mind how a character is to be portrayed, and then you're on stage and you are playing the role. Yeah, well, I guess I got the stamp of approval approval from from Tom himself. He came to the show early in previews, and he came backstage and um, really gave me the the confidence. Um, to just take the role and run with it. He also wrote me a letter on his famous oh. typewriter. He writes famous typewritten letters. Um, and Tom Hanks is the person who actually named that character Carl, Carl Hanratty. Oh. It's a true story, catch me if you can, about Frank Abagnale. You can see the Leonardo DiCaprio film. But the FBI agent that Hanks played in the film and I played in the stage version is an amalgamation of different mm. FBI guys. He didn't really exist. And on the first day of shooting in the film, Steven Spielberg turned to Tom Hanks and said, hey, we got to name this character. He doesn't have a name yet. And Tom Hanks wrote me a letter and said, I decided to name him Carl Hanratty. Hanratty for a football player that my father loved at Notre Dame and Carl because it has a K sound in it and therefore is funny. Mm yours truly, Tom Hanks. So he was responsible for naming the character. Um, that script was so good and the music was so so good, I did feel I had the permission to just do my own thing with it. I didn't have to do a carbon copy of, of Hanks or anything like that. Um, but uh, I sure loved that project. Yeah. So you're back in St. Louis again, concert tonight at 7.30 at the Sheldon, where you'll be talking about your latest album, when you come home, what are the St. Louis things that you like to do? Well, oh my gosh, I've already done a couple of them. I'm going to actually try to go to the last Cardinals game tomorrow if I can. I have another event tomorrow night, but I'm going to try to – a couple of my nephews are going to the game, and I'm going to try to uh, tag along with them. Um, I've already been to Ted Ruse, not once, <laughs> but twice. <laughs> twice I've been to Ted Ruse. Um that's what that's what our family does. We go to Ted Ruse and then we walk around Francis Park and we we catch up. Mm-hmm. I'll also head down to uh, the country. We have a, a place near Steelville, Missouri. Um, I like to go down there and ride horses. Uh, I love being home. Norbert Leo Butts is a St. Louis native, two-time Tony Award winner, and he's celebrating the release of his fourth album tonight at the Sheldon. The concert starts tonight at 7.30, and opening for him is St. Louis musician Devin Cahill. Norbert, thanks so much for being here today. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much.
Today's episode was produced by our executive producer, Alex Hoyer. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.